I want to talk this morning about our meetings. We have, I hope, I believe, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, kind of found a pattern to our meetings that isn't just by accident. It's thoughtful, it's prayerful, it's biblical. And I just want to touch on each part of what we do so that you have a context for it, so that you'll understand it. My, my hope is, I want you to understand, I want us to understand that there's purpose behind what we do. I want you to um, recognize that it's biblical, and then I want us all to participate as the church. And, and, and it's not like we're not. I mean, it's happening, but it's been a kind of a gradual happening, and it's, it just needs to continue, continue, because everybody is given something for the body. And every part of the body needs something from the body. And the more we find ourselves exercising in the Holy Spirit, those things that he's given us as gifts, the more the body will begin to look like a city on a hill, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and and the purposes of the kingdom will be more and more accomplished. So, when the kingdom will come, um, I think... There, there are churches now. How many have never been to any other church but this church? As you know, practically, is there anybody that's ever been, you know, a member of a church other than this one? Yeah, or never been? Yeah, I mean, everybody has. I know you have. We're so, we, we've only ever really been at the Freedom Center and then this church, right? So our perspective of church, we have internet, so we can, you know, we can watch sermons and get a sense for churches. But I really believe that as we are individually members of Christ's body individual members, different parts with different callings and different giftings, I think that churches are like that. That churches have a calling for that particular church. And, and some of them are very uh, prophetic. Uh, Pastor Ed up in, in uh, Flint at Gateway Church is very prophetic, and, and there's a lot of prophecy that flows through his church. And the Freedom Center is very evangelistic, and there's a tremendous uh, spirit of evangelism. Honestly, I think ours is like practical Christianity. Um, someday God may enlighten me with deep, deep, deep truths from the scriptures, and you'll just sit there and you'll go, wow, I never heard that before. But that isn't yet. The burden that is on my heart and the burden that's on Teresa's heart is that the church would be the church. That's why it's named Church on the Street. You think it's because of this beautiful little chapel building that we have with a gorgeously landscaped gravel parking lot. <laughs> It's actually not it. The name Church on the Street is to, is to engender a culture that says that church isn't what you do for you know, an ever-expanding couple of hours on a Sunday morning, but it's who you are first. Everywhere on the street, whether you're at the car uh, oil change place or at the hospital with uh, Marcy or in the grocery store, you're always the church. It's the first thing. Before you're a mother, a husband, a father, a son, a daughter, you're the church, if, if in fact you are the church. And that's why the, the name of the church is Church on the Street, so that we would be engendered. And that's the burden on our hearts, is that we would constantly be growing and growing in our knowledge of God, growing and growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ, and growing and growing in the behavior of the church, so that God's will can come to bear on this earth as it is in heaven. So, there's always been a mission. I'm going to read you from Genesis, I'm going to read you from Matthew. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. This is just kind of to lay some groundwork, quick groundwork. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it and rule over it, the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the very first mission that mankind was given was to subdue the earth. All of the living creatures to multiply and fill it up. And there had been no fall yet when this mission was given to mankind. So there wasn't a difference between who would do it and who wouldn't do it. Everybody, because there was no sin yet, was commissioned to subdue the earth. Right? Okay, well then we know that the fall came and Adam and Eve sinned and they ate from the tree they shouldn't have eaten from and that changed everything. Not that it was a surprise to God, but it changed everything. And then at the very exact right time, God sent his son to the earth to die so that he could be the saving, the sacrifice, the payment, the propitiation for all of mankind's sin. And then those that chose his son became his body and were commissioned, again, 
similar to how Adam and Eve were commissioned. So in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus is now about to be risen back up to heaven. He's been resurrected. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nation, bapti- of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, in the beginning, it was mankind's responsibility, but then man fell. Then the opportunity came for the kind of relationship that happened in the garden to happen again with God, but it's, that relationship is in the church, right? The church is not this building. The church is the body of Jesus Christ that is indwelt by his Holy Spirit, and the body has been commissioned. It's a co-mission. It's a mission between, if you think about it this way, um, it's a mission as an individual, me, because I'm a part of the body with a specific calling and specific giftings. And sometimes the giftings and the callings can be different depending on the situation that God's allowed me to be in. But I have my part. I have my part that's connected to the whole of the body. We have our part connected to the head that's Jesus of us as a body, empowered and filled with his Holy Spirit to go about making disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commands and understanding that he is going to be with us to the very end of the age in this mission. Now at the end I'm going to talk about um, how your perspective, how you see things very much determines how you would perceive a church service like this. And, and it's important that your perception comes from Scripture, not from the world or some blend between the world and Scripture. I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. So let's talk about our meetings. I'll, I'll just go, except for the blessed announcements, I'll start with testimonies. And, and just so you know, wow, this week was awesome, but last week was awesome too. When the body starts to get up and people stirred to pray, remember all the prayers we prayed? And people came up and they prayed and it was, it was just really excellent the body moving. Because see, if, if, if the pastor prays all the prayers and, and the body doesn't, the only prayers that are getting prayed are the ones that the pastor is stirred to pray. But God doesn't give anybody everything. Because if everybody had everything, then nobody would need anybody else and you would have such a disjointed body because we would be selfish and we'd be only concerned about ourselves. So he makes us all have need and he gives us all different gifts so that we'll be connected as a body strongly knowing that I have to be with you because you have something that I need and I'm blessed to offer something that you need because God gave it to me for you and to you for me. So last week was awesome. This week was awesome. Testimonies are important. Testimonies are important because they build faith, right? We don't do testimonies to fill up time. I mean, we do really good at taking a long time with church. So we don't need to add things to just fill up time. Testimonies build faith. Testimonies encourage hope. So if I hear a testimony from somebody that's very much what I've been praying for but haven't seen it, it gives me hope because, see, God is no respecter of person. He doesn't care more for me than he cares for you or you more than he cares for me. And if he will respond to your prayer, he will respond to my prayer. And if it isn't the right time for his response for my prayer, but I hear your testimony, it encourages me to stand in faith that God is going to answer my prayer. Revelation 19.10, and, and this isn't the whole of the scripture, just the, very, the last part of it, but it's the final sentence. This is John, the Apostle John, like in his revelation of Jesus He's talking to an angel. He just like wants to worship the angel. And he's like, stop, you know, I'm just a servant like you. And this whole conversation finishes this way. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we're looking for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to flow in our fellowship. One of those is prophecy. Oftentimes what happens is, as somebody testifies about Jesus and his goodness and his glory and how he's moved through them for a certain thing, it becomes like a prophetic fragrance, a prophetic word that we capture into ourselves and and it moves us on to then believing and to moving in that prophetic word because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We do testimonies because they glorify God and they facilitate worship. If you hear that the prosecutor, and I don't know, I mean, this may be a bad dory trail, but we were told that in our process in Ukraine that one of the people that we might be required to bribe is the prosecutor. I mean, it's crazy. You, you bribe the, no, no, the judge and the prosecutor. Yeah, there's a piece of good news for you. You didn't know. 
you bribe the judge, you bribe the prosecutor, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's crazy. But, the, but the, the prosecutor was moved. And when the prosecutor was moved to say, I'm not even going to resist this. I heard that because he's there on behalf of the child, right? And can't, just in case there's screwing this going on. He says, I'm not going to oppose, even though that child said, I don't want to be adopted. What was your response? Yay, God, thank you, Jesus. Clap, 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 clap. Every time you see Jesus do a miracle in the Bible, people praised God. It says, and all the people praised God, and oftentimes, and they followed Jesus. It facilitates worship. When you hear of the workings of God, the goodness and the glory of God, prior to worshiping, you worship with a different thing in your heart than you would if the testimony of God had been given first. So it's not just something to do. It's literally something that's necessary to help to build up our faith, to increase hope, to help us to worship in spirit and truth. We do testimonies for all those reasons. We worship. In worship, you know, when, when in, in our Western church mentality, when we think of worship, we think of what we do, you know, with... Uh, leaders that help us to get into a place and then the songs give us words to to exalt and glorify God and that is worship it absolutely is but but if you were to look up worship the the word worship in the scriptures in the you know your english bibles but if you had a concordance to see what the hebrew word is and the and the greek word is behind it almost exclusively it implies I always get this word wrong prostrate that's not an organ right <laughs> prostrate when they worshiped it's like they fell before and and what they're saying is that to worship god is to humble yourself before him to recognize (laughs) sorry right right it couldn't have been like elbow instead no it's good that it's important that we get this when we worship what we're doing is we're submitting ourselves we're, we're, we're affirming that we understand the greatness of God relative to our littleness. Even though we're laying his likeness, worship is an act of submission. Worship is an act of surrender. It's a bowing down before God. When you raise your hands, it's an act of surrender. It's saying, God, listen, you know, I'm not protecting myself from you. I'm not guarding myself in any way. I am trusting you to the point where I'm exposing my, myself, where you could hurt me. Someone could hurt me, but I'm trusting you. And raising my hands in worship. So when we worship, it's an act of surrender. It's a confession of surrender unto God. God is ultimately worthy of all worship and all praise. And we choose to worship God in our personal lives. I mean, if you actually worship like we do here, you know, I do. I worship at home. I sing the songs quietly, raise my hands, headphones on, and I worship at home like I worship here. And it's awesome. But the real demonstration of worship is our surrendered lives before God. When we hit the fork in the road and one way is not God's will and the other way is God's will, when we choose God's will, that is the ultimate act of worship, humbling ourselves before him. We also worship congregationally. And, and, and in, biblically, you can see that. The people come together and, and they worship corporately. And, and there's a magnification that happens when there's more than one person, when two or three or four or ten or a hundred or a thousand come together to worship God. It's a magnifying that's more than math. It's a multiplication. It's not an addition. In worship, we get the opportunity to corporately reflect back to God our recognition of his glory. Okay, so we do testimonies and we worship. And, and then we've come to learn that in worship is when we've found that the gifts of the Holy Spirit most prominently flow within our time together. So when we're finishing the corporate worship part of our services, we ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything more that you want to say? And what we're looking for is, does he want to give a word of knowledge or a a word of wisdom or a a word of prophecy or a, a word in tongue with an interpretation? Does he want to heal somebody? All these gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're literally making a place for Holy Spirit to have his way in, arguably, his meeting. I did pretty good without even looking at my notes. We're, we're actually amening our understanding that the source of 
of all the power that transforms us, of all the power that heals us, of all the power that is love flowing through us, of receiving love, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Everything that's powerful in the kingdom is sourced in the Holy Spirit. And when we stop and we wait on the Holy Spirit, what we're saying is we recognize that, Lord, and that that there is no power in this kingdom that isn't sourced in you. And we're asking you to display that power for us. Because we'll see in a minute that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially the higher gifts that Paul says we really, really, really need to earnestly desire, are for the edification of the body, for the building up of us, so that we'll be strong as we're battling all of the battles that we have to fight in the Spirit. Really, all the battles are in the Spirit, but they manifest in the natural. Okay, we minister. We minister because we need ministry. Um, We recognize that there are divine works of God that happen in the absence of other parts of the body. But most of the work that we see of the Holy Spirit happens through the body to the body. Do you understand that? When I wasn't a believer, when I wasn't a believer, I was um, regularly looking at things on the Internet that I shouldn't look at. I had printed materials that I shouldn't look at. I had... um, words that I used that weren't very good words, if you know what I mean. I mean, you know, I don't mean to impugn sailors, but but if there's a sailor with a bad tongue, I, I was the worst sailor of sailors. And those couple of things just disappeared. I never prayed and asked God, please, Lord, take away from me, you know, this thing and take away from me that thing. At just one point in my life, I noticed, wow, I just don't do that anymore. But most of the change that happened, and trust me, if you need a testimony, you can ask Teresa. I praise God every day for I'm just so different. I am so dramatically different. But most of that has come from crying out to God as he shows me the unbeautiful parts of myself. And I cry back to him, Lord, please, I don't want to be like this. I, just, I was just you know, less than awesome to my wife or to my children or to somebody else. And, and I had a road rage, heaven forbid. Lord, please, please take these things away from me. And he does. It's, it's the prayer. It's the ministry of the body. We minister to one another because we need ministry. We minister to one another because we recognize that that is how God works within the body is through the body. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. We pray. Right? This is a this is a church meeting. It's Christians gathering together in the name of Christ. Heaven forbid we don't pray a little bit, right? And I read this to you earlier, but I, I want to read it to you again to understand. I mean prayer, any any communication with God is by definition prayer. But intercessory prayer, prayer for um, a purpose beyond just fellowshipping with the Lord could kind of be described this way. Prayer is the ordained process. It's a process by which God stimulates. He, he stirs his body. You ever heard of the, the phrase, he stirs the intercessors? There are people whose specific gifting is intercessor. People that are wo- get a- woken up, awaken? awaken at two in the morning and have learned not to fight it because it's not that you can't sleep. It's because you're being stirred because one of your giftings is intercessor. And, and sometimes you don't even understand what it is that you're intercessing, that you're interceding, thank you, that you're interceding on behalf. But I've heard a bunch of stories of, of someone will bump into someone and, and like the person was from China and the other person's from like Kansas City or someplace. And it's like, I know you. And then they'll find out that they were in a situation and they were praying for them in the middle of the night and God used them. He stirs the body of Christ to get his will done. Prayer is the ordained process by which God stimulates his body, us, to request from him his desires and by which he empowers us to accomplish his will. When the church comes together, it has to pray. It really does. It has to pray because there's power. There's multiplied power, not added power, multiplied power and effectiveness when we pray together. Okay, so we have testimonies and we worship and we minister and we pray and we teach. We teach from the scriptures. Understand that the only authority that we have as Christians is the scriptures. There is no authority outside the scriptures. The minute that you start to question any of the scriptures, you wascoey wabbits, 
The minute that you start to question any of the scriptures, you expose all of the scripture to question. If there's an area of scripture that you cannot get next to, you can't question the scriptures. I'm, I'm just telling you, you can't, because it will cease to be authority in your lives because your flesh will then start to find reasons why that one doesn't make sense because I don't want it to rule my life in that area. And that one doesn't make sense because I don't want to have to submit to myself or to God in that area. You have to just decide in your mind that the scriptures are absolutely true They're infallible. They're the only authority we have. Someone would say, well, no, we have the Holy Spirit. But if we have a spirit that doesn't agree with the scriptures, it's not the Holy Spirit. It is not. It's a a demon spirit masquerading as an angel of light, trying to lead us out of the light and literally into the darkness. We teach only from the scriptures. And you know what? I've, I've asked God... Help me to be, you know, I came from the Freedom Center. If you ever heard Pastor Jim, that dude can preach. I mean, he can tell stories and he can weave things in, and it's a gifting. I believe it absolutely is a gifting, but it's not my gifting. My gifting, if you would even call it that, I feel like I come up here and just read the Bible to you on Sundays because I don't have anything much else to offer. A little bit of exposition, but basically taking scriptures and using them to kind of paint a picture so that we have a message that we come away with that's from the scripture. It's so important that we understand and we know the scriptures and that the scripture is the authority of our lives. It's the authority of our teaching. It's the authority of everything we have. And it's honestly the authority that would tell you whether or not you really are hearing from Holy Spirit versus some other spirit. So when we teach, we teach from the scriptures. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, you, however, he's talking about other folks, blah, 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 but you, Timothy, my son in the faith, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ which is in, excuse me, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We teach scripture. We teach because We're commanded to make disciples. What would we make disciples from if not from the scriptures? The the last thing that we consciously do, we we don't have coffee because coffee is culturally popular. You know why we have coffee? We have coffee because we hope people will come early. And in the process of coming early, they'll get to know one another. They'll fellowship with you. It's a facilitator of fellowship is why we have coffee. It really is. It's not any other reason but that. So we fellowship because fellowship is necessary. Fellowship is necessary to unity. Fellowship is necessary to developing trust within the body. You, you will not trust somebody with your needs. That, that If you have parts of you like, like I do, right? I had a road rage. I'm, I could be concerned that if I told you about my road rage, you would judge me and not think well of me. Except I know you. And because we fellowship together, I know you and I can trust you and I can share my weaknesses and my failings with you and know that you'll embrace me and you'll pray for me and you'll love me despite my weaknesses. If we don't have some way to get to know each other, I don't feel safe to do that with you and you with me. It builds trust in the body. It builds the body itself. It stimulates one another to love and good deeds and... It's literally the pattern and command we're given in Scripture. I'll read you two, two Scriptures here. Acts 2.42. This is the early church. This is like only chapter 2 in the book of Acts, right? Chapter 2 is where the church is literally born on the day of Pentecost. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were together with each other. They were having meetings. I mean, meetings is kind of a weird word for that, but that's what it was. They were meeting together. Hebrews 10, 23-25 reads this way, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. Don't forsake, don't stop assembling. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, we have this pattern that we follow. And honestly, we come prepared, right? Every Sunday, except for one, I come with a message. I mean, if, it's, if somebody else is preaching, then, you know, 
I don't have a message. But one Sunday, I came with the message and we didn't preach it. One Sunday, I came with no message because I couldn't get one. I mean, I prayed and I tried and I tried. My point to you is that we come prepared. The children's church, the youth, in here, everybody, the, the worship team comes prepared. But ultimately, our goal is to be led by the Holy Spirit. So if, if even he led us to the preparation and then tests our faith to see if we'll wander away from our preparation, it's okay because he's ultimately in charge. You may not know this, but we have, um, from the very first meeting we've ever had, we've had a policy that says you never, it's a, kind of a football term, you never take the ball, you're always given the ball. So if you watch as we're winding down our worship time, you will never see me looking up to whoever is leading the worship and tell them, okay, it's time for me to preach now. The reason we do that is we believe that there's an anointing on the person that is given that place and that the anointing will tell them when it's time. Now, 99 times out of 100, when they finish their prepared worship list and whatever the Holy Spirit has led them to do, it's time to move on. They don't feel an unction. But many times, I'll look up at Isaac or Christy or John or Margie or whomever and they will not tell me it's okay to move on because they don't think it is. We, we don't have this quite so much now as we used to in the past, but we would instruct as a little baby church. I mean, we were, you talk about wet behind the ears. Ho- worship team, you follow Holy Spirit. We would have times of five minutes or more of just quiet silence. It would make people crazy because we didn't understand But what was happening is the worship leader felt an unction and they were trying to find Holy Spirit. What are you asking me to do? And we just wait until they either figured out they weren't going to get it or they missed it or they got it and we went there. The point is, I never say to Isaac, it's time for me to come preach now. Even if I think it is time, I don't do it. I wait and then then Isaac or like um, Margie today, right? I look up, Margie looks at me and she gives me a little wink or a nod and then I know that she feels released for us to move out of that time of worship into the time of teaching. That's the way we've always done it. That's the way we do it. It's, it's on purpose because we want to honor Holy Spirit. If we don't honor him, like we said, Lord, we want gifts. We want to see your gifts full, prophecy, we, you know, wisdom, he, all this stuff. We want the stuff. We never saw the stuff. I'm praying, God, what do we got to do? He says, like, make a hole for me. It's like we, there was no place in our process for him to actually do that. I mean, he would bust through during worship sometimes, but we didn't consciously make a place for Holy Spirit to have a spot where he could speak in his own meeting. And, and when we did, we start to see tongues and interpretation of prophecy. And what you're really seeing is it's starting to happen in the testimony time now. Where pick gets up. You think that's not the Lord? It's awesome. Okay. Let me just read to you a little bit from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, um, the Apostle Paul is speaking about spiritual gifts. And in, in this conversation about spiritual gifts, he's having to correct the Corinthian church because they tend to be a little out of control. Okay? So there's a flavor of that in his message, but if you listen to what he's saying, you'll see God's heart for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you'll see him literally talk about how you have a meeting. Okay, so chapter 12, he describes all these different gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he finishes in verse 31, and he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. And then he takes almost all of chapter 13 to describe the more excellent way. And basically what he says is, if you operate in gifts more powerfully than anyone who ever has operated in gifts, and you operate outside of a heart of love, then it's a waste of time. If you have the greatest prophecies and you're speaking the words of God, but you don't speak it with love, you're just a noisy, clanging symbol. So he takes in chapter 13 and he describes the context for the gifts is in love. And then in chapter 14, he starts the chapter off with pursue love, so he just finished teaching on love, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So he said, earnestly desire the higher gifts. He tells us about the right way to do it in love, and then he says to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. He's teaching, he's telling the church in Corinth, he's telling us that spiritual gifts must be desired. If you say, well, I've never been in a church that's ever had tongues and interpretations before, I don't know why that is, but maybe they didn't desire them. Maybe it just wasn't something they asked for. There's so much of the Bible. As a matter of fact, is it James? It says you don't get because you don't ask. 
And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. So, so there's, there's a right way of asking, a right heart, a heart of love, of asking for spiritual gifts. God wants to be pursued. He wants to be sought after. He wants us to know that we must, he's a rewarder of the one who believes and diligently seeks after him. What would be a greater reward than himself, right? Okay, so he starts 14 off with, pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now I'm going to read you a big chunk of chapter 14 and, and some of this still makes me scratch my head. Uh, my objective is not to try to clarify a great understanding of every spiritual gift, but for you to see the context of spiritual gifts in a Christian meeting. Okay? Okay. I'll take that as a yes. So then, tongues was out of order in the Corinthian church. So he speaks a lot about tongues. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? Turns out they do. But if, all prophe- but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then, brother, brethren, when you assemble? What is the outcome then when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three. And each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. And let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must, be, must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. When you assemble, he says. He's talking about church meetings. And he's saying, this is how you do it. There doesn't have to be, if you've got 100 people that want to prophesy, you don't have to do 100 prophecies. You could do three or four prophecies. I mean, you know, if everybody prophesied, we wouldn't get 100. We wouldn't even have that problem. The point is, the proper context of a Christian gathering is the moving of the Holy Spirit, is the giving of the testimony of God, is the worship of God, is the discipling through the teaching of the Word of God. It's, way it, it's the way it's supposed to be. So if you think, oh my gosh, it's, you know, it's 10 after 11 and we haven't even started yet. No, we have started. You can, you can take announcements out of the thing if you want. I mean, you know, I don't find announcements anywhere in the Bible. We just do them because they're fun. But all the rest is literally biblical Christianity. It's what happens when we come together. And there's more that we haven't really exercised well yet. Um, altar ministry, you know, we're working on, on how to really do a great job at altar ministry. We're working on how do we identify the healing needs, you know, and, and, and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit can flow in that way. But church, as it's defined in the Bible, looks like this. Acts chapter 2 now. This is verses 14 through 21. And in this context, this isn't, this isn't necessarily a church meeting, but it is a church meeting. Literally, the, the disciples have been waiting. Jesus has ascended. He told them to go back into Jerusalem and wait, that the gift of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit would come, and then his power would come upon them to be his witnesses all throughout the whole world, every place they go. So they waited. And after some time, the Holy Spirit fell in that place with a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And, and tongues of fire descended upon them, and they started to speak in all these other languages. And something powerful happened because people were all from all around the, the area were in Jerusalem for the Passover. And people were drawn to this place. And they heard them speaking in these languages that they, that they the speakers, didn't know, but they were the native tongues of the people that happened to have descended upon Jerusalem for the Passover. And they're like, what is going on? And then Peter rises up in the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known 
to you and give heed to my words. For, <laughs> for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. Now, if it was later in the day, maybe they were drunk, but not yet. It's only the third hour. They're not yet drunk. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So what he's saying is basically the prophecy that you know from Joel, this is it. It's happening right now. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, but... Uh, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And that shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when you, when you hear someone tell you, no, 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 prophecy, tongues, no, no, no. It's like, no, this is, this is that. This is what was prophesied in Joel. This is what was birthed on the day of Pentecost when the church came to life because the Holy Spirit was given because Jesus said it would. It's not to stop. Until the times are done. The times are not done yet. Jesus has not returned. So be confident. And, and be confident that it's okay in love to make a mistake. Right? If there's a word that's just an unction that's inside of you but you're not sure, I'm pretty sure that's how it comes. That it isn't necessarily overwhelming. That God screams in your ear. He requires you to mix a little faith with that unction. And as long as it's not... Uh, um, a mean-spirited word, this is how we learn. It's okay to practice in church. This is where it's safe. Let me give you a couple examples of, of gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and their impact personally and then um, uh, in a bigger kingdom kind of a sense. I'm going to share Nancy's testimony from last week. Nancy had been singing to the Lord, You are my sunshine, right? She's, she's, just, she's so in love with Jesus. She says, Lord, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when la la la. You know the song, right? It's wonderful. She loves God. She wants to tell him, you're the light of my life, Lord. And then she's with Anna Brown, who has a very sensitive ear to the Lord, who has no idea about what Nancy sings to the Lord. And Anna says to Nancy, the Lord wants you to know that you're his sunshine too. Now, give me a break. If that's me, I'm doing a backflip. Because I know God will never leave me nor forsake me. I know that he's ever present around me. But I really like to hear that he really is. That there's some evidence. That, that, that through the utterance of the prophetic word, in this case, I guess, what would you call that? A word of knowledge, right? A word of knowledge. That, that God is speaking to Nancy. And you had to be edified beyond belief, right? It was so beautiful. Okay. Now, this is, this is Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus on earth was literally us, right? We're him now with, with him as our head. He was uh, aside from his divinity. He didn't, he didn't um, access his divinity to do the things that he did while he walked on this earth. So he was a man full of Holy Spirit, led by God, doing those things that he did. John four seventeen through 19. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. How did he know that? He got a word of knowledge. Holy Spirit told him. He didn't remember that from being in heaven because he laid aside his deity. He didn't stop being God, but he laid aside his deity so that he could be the spotless and perfect Lamb of God. Okay, so he got a word of knowledge. And he said, you're right, you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you, are, you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. If it went on, he'd say, you perceive right. So, Jesus, in our context, us, Anna, practicing, being filled, hearing the prophecies, getting stronger, trusting more and more, gave a word that the Lord wanted to bless Nancy and just really make her feel good. Happened. Same thing with Jesus. God has a plan in Samaria. He's going to start to work it right now. He put, brings this woman to the well. He gives Jesus a word of knowledge. He says, hey, go get your husband. She's like, eh, you know, I don't really have a husband. He's like, that's right. And the one you have now is not your husband, and you had five before. So then it goes on a little bit further and reads like this. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. 
So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed, excuse me, many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the women, it is no longer because of, or the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. As you then go out to be church on the street, you will be confident to prophesy over people. Mike is just talking about, he's like, I had to get out of my van because my van moves too fast for me to capture what the Lord is trying to tell me about an individual. And, and God will give him an, a word, maybe off a guy's tattoo. And, and then, the, then the process will begin, and they're like, whoa, you just read my mail. How did you know that? Well, I don't know that, but the Lord told me that. And, and the door will open, and they will become more apt to believe because it's, a, it's an anointing that draws a person. It's not our good words. It's not our strength. When the anointing is present, the fact that we've studied and we know the words and we speak the truth is really important, but it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Amen? So it's very practical. If we'll practice it here, we'll be safer to do it there. We won't feel quite so concerned. And if we make a mistake here, who cares? Right? That's what this is. We're family. It's, this is where you make a mistake. Okay. So then the thing that I mentioned at the beginning, and I'll, and I'll close with this now, is if we see ourselves as the center of the kingdom equation, that Jesus died for me, which is totally true, and, and that he then is purposed with blessing me and helping me and loving me and, and, and everything is about me, then the whole idea of what we do on a Sunday morning won't make sense to you. Because if you can't find a connection to you, it doesn't fit your, your perspective of what Christianity is. But if you see yourself as an individually gifted part of a larger mission that to be fully functional requires the dedicated integration of all its parts, you see the corporate gathering as necessary to the empowerment of the mission, both for you, but equally also through you. So that's it. And, and what I wanted to accomplish today was for us to understand, you know, you can be... I, don't want to, I honestly don't want to say anything bad about any other churches because I think every church is called for a particular purpose, just like every person is for a particular purpose. But we're church on the street, and God is using our meetings to prepare us to be his body everywhere that we are. Right? Jesus said, it's better that I go than that I stay. Now, he's Jesus. Some of those guys had truly come to believe he was Messiah, the anointed one, right? How could it be better? We didn't have you. It wasn't so good. We have you. It's better. How could it be better if you go? Because then you can all be me. You can all have the Holy Spirit. I can be only witness on, my, on myself because he's the only one that had the anointing. That's all Christ means, anointed one. Now, I don't know, theologically, if I, I don't want to get in trouble, but... Maybe you could say Christ, 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 because you're all anointed ones. Because that same spirit that was in Jesus indwells in you to accomplish the works. As the Father sent me, Jesus said, so I send you. So when you come here on a Sunday morning, come prepared. Come prepared and say, Lord, what are you going to use me for? What is it as a sponge that I'm going to soak up? Because I know I have a gift and I know I have a need. And you're completing from glory to glory to glory the transformation of me as a part of the body and the body collectively into the perfect and beautiful likeness of Jesus, your son. Does it all make sense to you? It may not have been revelatory teaching, but it's good for us to think about why are we doing what we're doing and then participate in the doing because there's a purpose. Remember at the beginning, subdue this earth. It's no different. Subdue this earth for the purposes of God and his kingdom. Now it's not all mankind. It's the church for all mankind that this whole planet might be subdued. Remember Jesus said he's not coming back until the gospel has been declared to all of creation. The more of us declare, the sooner he'll come back. All right? Okay. I'm going to pray over you. If anybody needs ministry, please, 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 don't be shy to come up. Oh, maybe Teresa's going to. Do you have a word? I won't be shy. I'll let you close. <laughs> Can I have everybody stand, please? You can just get the overhead. Yeah. I just want um, to point something out to you, Pat 
several times referred. Um, to the book of Acts. And it goes back to worship even before. I, I, I just want to point out to you how much Holy Spirit directs and guides us in these meetings, in these gatherings. From the song that the worship team played, that this house would be shaken, it's the book of Acts. Pat speaks from chapter 2, the book of Acts. He speaks about being woken up in the middle of the night with dreams or visions to pray. That was one of the testimonies today. I just wanted to point out to you, um, uh, Elaine, I'm sorry, Eileen, I'm sorry, comes up and she says she's shaking. See, the house to be shaking, it's not the physical building, it's you. It's us. I am shaking right now because this is the book of Acts. This is the kingdom of God. This is Peter speaking through Pat with boldness. Mike with prophecy. This is me. This meeting is directed and guided by Holy Spirit. I don't know if you see it. I see it so clearly. He's just highlighting it. It's a privilege. I'm sorry. It's just like one of these hush moments. The thought I have is the Lord is beautifying his bride. And he says, you are in the process of being beautified And he said, don't pick up anything other than me beautifying you. And he said, it's going to drive out, just like they they said, drive the enemy out of the land. God's loving you is going to drive out all the disgusting thoughts that have nothing to do with his plan of salvation. It was never you to, to, to be conformed to the things of this world. You were never to know those things. You are just to know his love, be loving you and loving you. So let that love that he has for you begin to challenge the lies of the enemy. And you start to testify of the beauty that he said, beauty for ashes. Don't pick up the ashes anymore. And I believe that there is, there is a birthing within you and a strengthening within you to see yourself as God is birthing in you to be. And then be it. Go ahead and be it. It is his desire. It is his plan. He put all of that in place for you to become like him, to know him. And in the moving of those things, you will taste that the, the goodness of the Lord. You'll taste and see. You'll know. And he said, stop tasting the things of the world. Stop tasting the things of the past. Stop tasting those things. Taste not, handle not, touch not. Get rid of it. It, it was never supposed to be in your being. actually resonated with my spirit Mike it made me think back to the conversation in Kiev beautiful 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 and Nancy I wanted confirmation I got it these are the words that came to me with wonderful 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 is your unity here Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful is your love. I love the preaching. I love the children. I love the freedom. I love you all so much. Thank you for freeing up my spirit here.
You say loud. Amen. 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 And I just kept hearing thank you, and I thought, you know, I'm trying to live my life life of gratefulness and being thankful and God said no thank you thank you encourage encourage your pastors and thank them for me like thank you thank you Pat thank you Teresa right from the heart of God he was saying thank you thank you Nancy for coming forward and speaking my word thank you so God is saying God's word what he is saying is thank you for being the body of Christ. Thank you. I like what I see or are beautiful. Like the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. He's saying beautiful, 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 beautiful. Every single one of you, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Davo, for coming up here and teaching us what the dedication is about. Thank you for speaking my heart. Thank you. Thank you for singing and being brave. Thank you. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. You're almost married. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. He wants you to hear his words to you. Thank you. Thank you.